Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Happy Friday afternoon. Today, I'm going to be bringing you a quick update on some of the stories that I've been speaking of and thinking of over the last week. Now, we have the first update stemming from the Crisis Magazine article from, from two days ago, written um, as an op-ed piece, and well, what's the best way of putting it, Steph? How should, how should we address that article that was written uh, two days ago? It was anti-Ask Your Husband, which is Steph's book, and anti Implicitly, it was anti-case for patriarchy, which is my book, Steph's book and my book, specifically on the topic of the marital debt. The argument of this article was essentially that the truth about what the church discloses about marital debt doesn't really matter, and uh, you're weird if you bring it up. And the only named expositor of that worldview, the idea that the conjugal debt, the marital debt, that, that both husband and wife have to render to each other uh, the conjugal act upon really any request. The argument is you're a weirdo if you believe in the, the, the long-standing, unalterable, immutable Catholic teaching, which is, is a funny response to take, and it's a wrong response to take. And we were surprised to see it come from crisis. And I reached out to this man. His, his name was Adam Lucas, the author. His name is Adam Lucas, the author of the Crisis article criticizing Steph's book from Wednesday. And I said, Adam, this is Tim Gordon. Do you want to join me and Steph on Rules for Retrogrades Live about your article? I wrote that yesterday afternoon, and he got back to me a little over 12 hours later. He got back to me, he said, hello, I appreciate the offer, but no, thank you. It was this morning, and then I responded to him, figured as much, okay? So that's, that's a worthwhile update that, look, on this show, I am willing, Rules for Retrogrades as a policy matter is willing to talk to basically anyone, particularly people that, that square off with a Rules for Retrogrades point of view, uh, on any matter, and they, they they publish an article, boom, that's good, come on here. I, I know I could publish an article back, I used to do that. This is a much quicker way to respond, and it reaches many more ears and eyes. So if you disagree with us, and you want to get on the show, the quickest way is to do so in print or in bit ink. And that's what I offered Mr. Lucas. Hey, why don't you come on the show? Now, I'm guessing he saw our show on Wednesday, and he said, uh, wow, they cut to ribbons, my point of view. His um, primary premises were these. Um, the conjugal debt, just by way of review, the conjugal debt is, uh, it merely requires that two married spouses consummate their marriage once. I mean, I mean, these aren't dense quotes. I'm paraphrasing. This, and this is my interpretation of his article. And, and of course, this can't be violated. Even the common law, even civil law, requires that two married spouses consummate their marriage once. Oh, far be it from I, Adam Lucas, to contradict this. And that's not what it is. The Catholic catechism, 
the church fathers, the popes, all who have written on it, New Advent, all who have written on it, say, and St. Paul in the scriptures says, no, this means that each time that one spouse, and this is not just a man requiring sex of their wives thing, it's wives requiring sex of their husbands. Each request that does not, is not answered with a grave excuse, a grave alibi, uh, must be granted one spouse to another. doesn't matter which sex. And any non-grave attempt at um, excusing the conjugal act is, as a matter of Catholic scriptural theology, moral theology, is grave matter, which is to say, in, in ordinary cases, mortally sinful. But he, but he at first tried to skirt the issue by saying, yes, the conjugal debt means you have to do it once sometime when you're married. Or this is strongly what he's implying. That's, that's totally wrong. So he's uh, skirting the argument by saying, um, no, well, yes, I don't contradict this definition of the conjugal debt. Well, that's not the right definition. Secondly, he said, well, look, so Mrs. Stephanie Gordon, um, who, you know, Mrs. Timothy J. Gordon, who's really staff, who's sitting right over here to my right. That's she, Mrs. Timothy J. Gordon to you. That's Mrs. Timothy J. Gordon to you. She, she, um, she's aptly named, you know, she's, which was a parenthetical. I think he was just taking some page out of the feminist book where he, he was implying, I don't know what that parenthetical meant exactly, but I took it to mean, this is just a woman who's beaten down, who's, who's doing exactly what, what her husband requires her to do. And that, that's just nonsense. We're just, we're just tossing out obvious propositions of the faith, unproblematic, uncontroverted propositions of the faith. And we're saying, look, you, you, you can't get around this. Now, he, he, he then proceeded to talk, and so did people on Twitter who detracted, as if, um, I'm not sure this was a direct quote from Adam Lucas or from some of the Twitter detractors of ours that were, of Steph specifically, that were, res- that were agreeing with Adam Lucas, as if, he spoke as if, this is like a fixation of Steph's, and, and by appropriation, mine. It's a fixation, this is weird. And someone on Twitter, I believe, said it that way, but I think he said it this way. Well, it might be a right, this conjugal debt, but if you ever invoke the right, then the relationship is already broken down and you're a total weirdo. And obviously, he's talking about Steph, obviously, by dint of implication, he's talking about me. So this is the next next failed attempt, and I know I already went through all this, but I'm giving you the, the Cliff Notes version or the Spark Notes version. This doesn't work because um, he's treating a right as if it doesn't correspond with a duty. Classic liberal trick. A classic liberal trick is to say a right is something you get and it, it is not correlative to duty. Right is mutually constitutive with duty. The things that are owed to me, I owe to others because of the golden rule. So he, what he's saying is, well, good relationships function without rights, insinuatedly, and duties, or duties. No. Good relationships are comprised of the willful obeisance, the willful um, granting 
satisfaction of both rights and duties. And I gave the example in my response video, yo, if my two kids are arguing over who has the front seat in the car, and then they're like, well, let's recur to the turn system, which is sovereign in kid world. It's sovereign. Almost as sovereign as paper, rock, scissors, right? (laughs) But the turn system is even more accordant with justice. It was your turn last. It's my turn this time. Then the kid will look up. Yeah, you're right. You get to ride in the front seat with dad. Darn. I'll get it next time, though. That right of of um, alternating turns riding in the front seat, that the invocation of that right is not indicative of a broken down relationship. It is what constitutes a healthy relationship. So like if a husband's being a little grouchy with his wife and his wife says, hey, you're being a little grouchy with me, like you owe me better than that. She is enumerating one of her many rights as the wife, you know, beautiful position, the queen of the household. I say king a lot, but I also say queen a lot. Um, so this is to say, literally, relationships are wrought, are constituted of the satisfaction of rights. Uh, it is our duty to satisfy the rights of others. And it is not weird or obsessive or fixating like some uh, uh, Cretans on the internet were attempting to mischaracterize. Well, you might be right. That might be your right. But you're not right to claim it as your right. That means you have a broken down relationship. No, no, no. If a husband is being grouchy to his wife and she says, you owe me better. Boom. It helps him to correct the ship before they've gone way off course. Before they've gone way off course. Um, Rights and duties enumerations. Hey, I have a right to this. That means my wife has a duty to honor it. My wife has a right to this. That means I have a duty to honor it. Rights and duties inform healthy relationships. And therefore, that's how you you go, uh, you know, you make sure, hey, if it's been a little bit long since we've, whether it's the conjugal act or, you know, hey, maybe we should just go out on a date. It's too easy to not go out on a date. That's kind of a right and a duty of spouses to keep the romance alive. Um, rather than letting it go 10 years in between a spousal marital date, if, if whoever notices it first that they haven't been going on spousal dates so often, you got to get out of the house, get away from the kids every once in a while. The first person to notice it, hey, br- raise the issue. Raise the issue. That is rights and duties informing a healthy relationship. In legal terms, we would never say that a right, a property right, a liberty right, a life right, uh, is anything but part of a bundle of sticks. When you have a right to property, that means you have a right to the property itself and a right to assert against all gainsayers the right to the property. So, So this argument, and I know a lot of theology people some of them have studied philosophy, some of them study law, but a lot of them just study theology and they, they make these mistakes and they don't realize it. Well, you might be right to insist on your right, but it's really wrong to insist on your right. This is like saying it's right to be wrong. It's called a right, I-U-S, use. In book five of Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics and Thomas Aquinas, who draws so fervidly from Nicomachean Ethics' fifth book, because it's right to raise the right because rights are good for the relationship. The conjugal debt is good, in other words, for the relationship. Raising it frequently is good for the relationship. Okay? 
So that was another failed attempt to skirt the issue. Oh, well, you, you might be right, but you're fixated on it, or you're weird for raising the right. No, 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 no. And at the end, he just sort of came around to it, and he said, they're probably right, or so, he says something like this. They're probably right, the people that raised the conjugal debt, but in like an evangelical interest, selling to the world the notion of Christianity, we ought not to stand pat, stand firm on insisting on the conjugal debt because it's so weird to non-Christians. And this I refuted as well in me and Steph's short video. That's just badly informed, Adam. You're, that's just... I have a lot of friends who are Catholic. I have a lot of friends who are not Catholic. And my friends who aren't Catholic tend to be bros. Either maybe kind of secular Protestant types or secular conservative types that like lifting weights, have been in a lot of fights, like chicks in some cases. I'm not trying to shame them over much. Some. Uh, they like chicks a little bit too much. So what they're actually really weirded out by, which I have a great perspective on, is when they don't think that Catholics have enough testosterone. The Catholics don't have enough emphasis on, hey, can you have any sort of normal bodily pleasures? You guys can't get high. You're not allowed to get high. You're not allowed to get drunk. Are you allowed to enjoy even... You're not allowed to fornicate. Okay, but are you allowed to enjoy sex with your wife? Yes. It's called the marital act for a reason. It's called the marital act for a reason. So this is a really, really odd argument to say, well, bros out there who aren't yet Catholic are going to be deterred from becoming Catholic by hearing that Catholicism has a really open-to-life culture. Really open to... And open-to-life means open to intercourse. And finally, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think Lucas said this, but a lot of people online were saying, oh, you're just weird if you talk about this publicly. Um, you might be right, but you're just weird. It's another version of, of his argument number two, attempt number two, fallacy number two. It's a, a second version that I want to address separately. I kind of agree. I don't. I am not the guy at parties. I might be the guy talking loud at dinner parties. I might be the guy making inappropriate jokes at dinner parties, but not sexual ones. I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm sheepish. I'm mawkish when it comes to most issues about sex. I, I believe it's it's a private kind of thing. Not in the libertarian sense. I, I I don't think we should permit decriminalize worldwide like Pope Francis says. But I, I don't really want to hear about some other marital couple's bedroom habits at all. But we do have to say in generic terms, without getting specific, that gets weird and bedroomy. In generic terms, well, then we should say what corresponds with the genus, not the particular species of the genus. So-and-so likes when, you know, Marge really likes when Homer nibbles on her elbow. It's a Simpsons thing. I don't want to hear that stuff either. But generically, we can say without it being weird at all, this is as anodyne as um, sepsis-free <laughs> as it gets. You are supposed to enjoy the conjugal act open to life procreative, marital, unitive, frequently with your spouse. It strengthens the bond and you get more supernatural graces from it each time. And I can say that and it's not awkward in a room. 
of people. People can apply that and say, does that mean you do? Okay, I'm saying everyone should. To what healthy marriages are related, uh, are united by. It's the only thing that really sets the relationship apart and it makes it much more special. We are one flesh. That act makes you one flesh. Okay, so, so no, I, I agree. I don't like talking about it either. I'm not super comfortable talking about it, but I, I once um, spoke to Ed Fazer in person. You know, he was, he was a, an acquaintance friend in, Cal, in Southern California when I lived there. We were talking outside uh, his kid's school one day, and um, he expressed to me and Chris Plants, who's good friends with him, you know what's annoying about writing a book as a, as a Catholic philosopher, he told us? It's that you just want to say what you have to say in the book. You want as many people to read the book as you can. And then you kind of, as a Catholic philosopher, we're not theologians. We're a different type. Then you kind of want to go to the next topic that's relevant or important or interesting and apply your procedural method, your rigorous procedural philosophical analysis to it and dismantle it and put it back together, that's fixed. It's like a guy that fixes iPhones or a gizmo fixer. You want to tinker with it? Put it aside. Here you go. Come pick it up. I have other phones to fix. That's what Ed Fazer and Joe Bassett did in their death penalty book by Man Shall His Blood Be Shed. That's what Steph and I did with our books. Where's yours, Steffi? Ask Your Husband and The Case for Patriarchy. These are the, by man shall his blood be sheds, of married relations and feminism and patriarchy. We provide all the scriptural citation and magisterial citation you will ever need in these books. And, and, and we add in some, we add in some, I think, funny, we add in some good stuff as well, Okay. But I don't, but then people will accuse you, oh, you're fixated on this. You're fixated on this is what Phaser told me and, me and Chris Plants. It was like, oh, you're totally fixated on, on the death penalty, Ed. No, actually, he would, I'm paraphrasing. No, actually, you guys are. You can't accept that I just proved to you that Catholics have always had the death penalty in principle. I just proved it to you. You can't deal with it. It's a really weak cope. And so you're, boy, my, it's the end of the day and my, my, <laughs> and by way of really weak cope, you guys can't deal with it. You're fixated on it. And yeah, I'm sure if I get drawn into some Twitter thing, I'm going to defend my position. I'm going to defend my book. I'm going to defend the truth. But that's different from being fixated. on. I want to go to the next topic. This is not my whole apostolate. Okay. As a matter of fact, I want to make this really clear for you. This apostolate, what I care about, has four pillars. It's one of the four. We're gonna. There's a kind of unification, a nexus. Boy, that looks really bad. Is that still? Yeah, boy. Uh, end of the day, end of the week. You know what I mean? That. Nexus is something I'm going to talk about now. So we have four real pillars. And they go like this. Patriarchy. Household patriarchy. Christianity is the patriarchy. This is uh, 
retrograde pillar number one. Christianity is the patriarchy. It's actually a lay patriarchy. And uh, uh, it's twofold. And a clerical patriarchy. All male priesthood and presbyterate. At the lay level, each household is its own patriarchy. Rule by fathers is what it means. Rule by fathers. Okay. So what does that mean? And I've I've pissed off some people in the bro red pill manosphere men's rights movement by saying you're not a patriarch unless you're a father. It means power to fathers. And also, it's not all men have power over all women. It's a man has dominion over his own household, wife and children. And he is charged with being a goodly king and treating his wife like a queen who should be his handmaiden and his kids super well and laying, laying uh, his life down with a sacrificial type of love. That's patriarchy. I don't go into my friend's house and start telling my wife what's what. I, t- I treat my friend and his wife they're, they're different because it's a man and a, a woman, but I treat them basically the same. They're basically one flesh, so my friend's wives are like kind of like my friend, but I don't tell them what to do. I ask, oh, is it okay if I grab my Coke out of your refrigerator? You know, I mean, like, that's not, it's not the way that the leftists on the one hand or the red pill manosphere guys on the other hand want to talk about it. They don't like it when, when I say this. Uh, when I say, yeah, like all men don't rule all women. It's a man rules his household. So that is pillar number one patriarchy. And a lot of people got ticked off because in a follow-up tweet to the show we did against Mr. Adam Lucas and the conjugal debt, I noted that even among the mostly trad, trad-ish community that comprises my followers on Twitter and YouTube, feminism still reigns supreme. Feminism still reigns supreme, okay? And noting this, I just thought, wow, Catholicism got really, really badly infiltrated. Badly infiltrated. There are reasons why. I'm not going to talk about them right now. The best five marriages I know were either secular, Protestant-leaning secularists or secular-leaning Protestants, to be honest, who were the women who were converted while friends are dating by the men who are Catholics. They converted them. They became good Catholics. They got married, or they're in the process of becoming good Catholics. They got married, and they were just these great Catholic wives that are like truly traditional wives. The problem, my friends, parish orphans and retrogrades, is in the trad community, the TLM has been made into the shibboleth. You will have a good life if you go to the TLM. I am a TLM supremacist. I oppose basically everything Francis has done, but Traditionis Custodis is one of the top, in the top three things of Francis's actions that he's done that I oppose, top three, four things. I'm completely TLM supremacist. I think the Novus Ordo should be abolished. The TLM is not the shibboleth for leading a truly good, happy Catholic life. Household patriarchy is. Okay, this first pillar. There are many, many TLM-going feminists, and you just follow me on Twitter if you don't believe it. 
many who go to the TLM, many who love Archbishop Lefebvre, many who, because they've been, uh, I don't want to, um, hoodwinked, let's say hoodwinked into being a working wife, two incomes, they're angry when they read my book or Steph's book. They're angry when they hear us talking about patriarchy means the, the woman really needs to be at home. It's a lovely life. It is a lovely life. And um, so this points to me, I just say, look, you, the TLM, is, it's great. It's a million times better than the Novus Ordo. I want it. I don't want the Novus Ordo. I want the Novus Ordo to go away, not the other way around. But it's not enough. And that's why I've never, ever, ever sought to provide you guys, parish orphans and retrogrades, with simple answers. It's BS. Simple answers are BS. And so when you go, oh, this is a, a, a TLM community. I have a lot of followers from four years ago when TNT was a phenomenon. Cool. I love it. This channel, we're not aiming to make it huge. We're not making aiming to make it super big because... If the bigger, the better, and it's exciting. But I know how popular demographical mechanics work. And if you want to get a huge audience, you tell them something simple. We literally had an ad agency working for us for a short while, and we're like, this is no good. We don't want to do any of this or much of it. It's expensive. I know other popular Catholics that use the same ad agency, it's expensive. What they're telling us to do is essentially more or less sellout. That's not how they'd put it. It works for some people, but we don't provide simple solutions. We don't provide simple Novus Ordo post-conciliar solutions, certainly. few of those. But we don't provide simple trad solutions either. It's so much easier. Think about this. Think about this now. Allow me to challenge you. The TLM is supreme. I hate the Novus Ordo, aside from the Eucharist and all that. But it is so much easier to, if you are a man who is not acting as the patriarch of your home, to just say, oh, the whole shibboleth, the whole sine qua non of being a trad is going to the TLM, and you happen to be lucky enough to live near one, now that it's getting rarer and rarer, as we approach, approach Holy Monday, where Francis, we are told, is going to take it away. Um, I'll just go to the TLM. And I've said this a million times before. In these households, you go over to their, their house for dinner. The wife is still basically the boss in most of these households, just like in the Novus Ordo household. In the Novus Ordo household, you go over for dinner, and they don't even pray before dinner. They forget to, right? They're not in, you know, eight times out of ten. Or if they do, it's the wife leading. In the too many TLM households, you go over and before dinner... They know to observe the proper forms. They know to, you know, bless the meal. They know to give thanks to God. That's all good, 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 good. But it's the wife kicking the husband under the table going, you have to lead. That's, that's the real leader, the one saying you have to lead. And it's because being a trad, do, I don't care about being a trad. I, I don't really care about the labels. I'm a Catholic. And I, I don't the FBI, this is the other half of today's show, the FBI considers me a trad Catholic. I guarantee you that. <laughs> that's, that's the other news I have an update on, by the way. But I don't go around trying to prove my trad bona fides because, to put it nicely, 
it's not enough just going to the TLM. What what is enough, even if we're stuck after Holy Monday, all of us, having only the Novus Ordo, which I a prospect which makes me shudder, what is enough to get you, your wife, your kids to heaven is what God gave us. The household patriarchy in some correspondence with the, the clerical patriarchy, even if it's just Novus Ordo, I, it's not what I want, TLM supremacist. It's enough. If the man is being a truly loving king to his queenly wife and to his, I don't know, cherubic children, right? <laughs> That's enough. And it's, but it's so much easier as a blame allocation model to say, oh, I can just go to the TLM when I can, when the bishops take it away, blame them for all my problems. This is why I have a headache and, you know, you can't make my athletic shoes smell good. It's because, you know, the, T- the bishops are taking away the TLM. Yes, the bishops are, have a problem with um, fruitcakes at Christmas, let's say. The bishops have a problem being stumbling blocks. The bishops have a problem being a bunch of Judases. Not all of them, but most of them. And the bishops have a problem with tradition. They hate it. They're all wrong for that. I mean, I take no solace in the fact they're going to pay for that. But that is not an excuse for not leading your wife and kids. So the case for patriarchy is the path to happiness. And so it, it requires that me and Steph say this stuff. It requires that Steph and I say this stuff. I mean, particularly me. Right? I have to tell you, the case for patriarchy is the first pillar of a good household. It's the most important thing. Patriarch dad with a mom who supports him, a handmaiden and good kids, that only is stuck at the Novus Ordo. I'm afraid this is our life going into the future after this Lenten season, this Holy Week. You can make it. Whereas you go to the TLM and the mom's still basically a power-hungry matriarch. And I see this in so many TLM households. And she's still barking orders of the dad. She just knows how to do it in a trattier looking or seeming way. That's not enough to make it. And the TLM looks like it's going away anyway. So first pillar is patriarchy. And I had to respond to these people online. And I said, look, I've seen enough TLM feminism that I, I have given up. The five best marriages I know of, my generation or younger, are all a secular leaning Protestant girl who was converted by a, a serious trad Catholic man or a Protestant-leaning secularist that was converted by a, a trad Catholic man. Uh, so basically a Protestant that was converted, but maybe probably in all cases uh, a conservative or at least centrist so that they could come around. Whereas I go and I give, I give a talk on this book at Franciscan University a lot of folded arms, angry young feminists. That's supposed to be like the leading light in Catholic American universities, conservative, faithful Catholic universities, a lot of young feminists. Feminism is more in the water in Catholicism than in deep South Protestantism. So I did a tweet like, the best advice I can give young Catholic men that want to find a good wife, go to whatever you're going to do, trade school or get a job, or I guess if you're going to a university, go in the deep South convert a Protestant. That's, that's five out of the five best relationships I know of, youngish relationships I know of were that. It's, it's funny because people, when you said that, I was, um, I'm not on Twitter, but I was noticing some, 
I was noticing some people, they just didn't read, don't know how to read. I don't know what it was, but they responded. They, they completely edited out the part that you said, convert somebody. First. First. Marry them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, when you're right, and I'm not, I'm not always right, but when you're right, you're right. When you're right and you have a big, bitter audience of people that are unwilling to come to the truth, which is what a bunch of these TLM-going feminists are on Twitter. They have to say something, so they'll misconstrue it. And they're like, oh, what about the sixth precept of the church? I guess you don't care about that, meaning marry only Catholics. I said convert them first. This is what I did. This is what a um, couple, not that you were a Protestant, but you, you, were, you were basically a conservative secular girl with you know, being raised in a very, maybe very Protestant light household. I don't even know how to characterize yours, but... Couple number two, who is, um, you know, my flesh and blood, Protestant conversion. Couple number three, a student uh, of mine who, who um, the, the D family, you know, Lauren D sends us a lot of our stories. She sent us that story where we did the surprise anti-feminist uh, talk two days ago on the article in Crisis. Protestant girl converted by a Catholic. Protestants are much, I don't know what it is, but they're much more willing to, oh, show me where it show, says in scripture that feminism is wrong and I'll follow it. Lauren D would say, yeah, I was kind of a feminist before. I didn't even know it, but then I, then my, then Tom showed me where I was wrong in the Bible and in Christian teaching. And I, I, I converted. There's much more of that model. Show me where I'm wrong and I'll, I'll do it. Um, then we had we had a couple others. Uh, we'll just call them uh, S and G. You know who you are. Who? <laughs> like, they know who they are. They know who they are. <laughs> S and G, sort of a sec. I don't know, secular Protestantish household was G. S said, "Boom! Look, here's what works." Made an appeal to natural law and some to scripture, and boom! I'll stop being borderline feminist and I'll I'll become a Catholic. Okay, that's couple number four. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, I was laughing when people were getting really upset about that. It really is true. Like, of, I was, I, we actually took stock last night after people, after you made the comment that you should convert a Protestant to Catholicism. All of my closest female friends were Catholic converts. And it's incredible the fire that they have for the faith. So it was just funny to me to see the complete meltdown yeah. on Twitter when you mentioned that because they just people just don't get it. They don't get it at all. Well, they don't want to get it. And the fifth couple is um, A and A and D. Let's say that A and D again, secular leaning. I think Protestant girl. It's almost to the point of not caring, but with Protestant overtones, converted, um, converted by a Catholic man. Um, that's five. I, I could go on. I know many more. Those are the best five couples I know. And I, you know, you speak from experience and I've seen this a lot. I give talks to Catholics around the country, even at the best Catholic schools, there's a lot of feminism at the, at the faithful ones. So the patriarchy is pillar number one of, um, of rules for retrogrades. And then we have four. And if you didn't like my tweet, sorry, I, I don't care. Like I said, I'm, we're a middle, middling-sized apostolate, and this is how we do. If you don't like the way I talk, and I'm not saying I'm always right, right? Because I'll, I'll admit when I'm wrong. 
If you don't like the way I talk, if you don't like the patriarchy, which is a pillar of this apostolate, if you are a crypto feminist, even if you go to a TLM, like a lot of you are, you're not not the parish or the retrogrades, but a lot of people that watch and kind of hate it and rage tweet afterwards, then we're, women, I'm, I'm women not were rage tweeting. What? It was the ladies who were raging. La- of course it is. Of course. Well, of course it is. Always. Disordered ladies who rage tweet. You shouldn't even be on Twitter, right? You learned that and got off. Mm-hmm. We, we were wrong to even have you on Twitter. But rage tweeting about what I said about the patriarchy. Patriarchy is more important than even the most important, uh, so important TLM liturgy and the awful uh, Novus Ordo. The path to a good life is having a household patriarchy. That's pillar number one. Now, pillar number two goes with it. It is uh, Catholic Republic, my first book. What is the binding principle of Catholic Republic? Subsidiarity. You know who hated Catholic Republic and its referencing of subsidiarity means states' rights or small government? Here's the list. The distributists, the monarchists, the ethno-nationalists, the post-liberals, the new right in general, uh, did I say integralists? All of the, and the, there's a lot of overlap between those groups. They all hated it. Any kind of really nationalist, I'm like, look, I did a tweet today. Subsidiarity is the basic church teaching, really the only church teaching on scope of government, scale of government. And it just means it's inherently wrong. Pius XI says it is a grave evil for a more far away governing body to take a legislative role that rightly belongs to a more near governing body unless that legislative field is out of the competence of the nearer governing body. You know who the nearest governing body to a household is? Who do you think it is? City government? County government? State government? National government? One world government? None of these. City's the second nearest government to it, municipal government. The father, patriarchy. You see that connection? Plato taught that the child belongs to the state, not the father. And early in political philosophy, early in the history, his student Aristotle said, nay, the child belongs to the father, not to the state. Plato says the child belongs to the state, not the father. Plato's a statist, a big government guy. Aristotle said, no, nature, and again, Aristotle is just a pre-Catholic in basically 95% of his teachings. Nature and nature's God has deigned that the child belongs to the father, and and he means and the mother too. Um, The child belongs to the father, not to the state. Therefore, most of the rules for raising that child should come from the father, not the state. If there's a vaccine out there, And you're wondering whether you should get it. Who should hold that decision? You, the father, not the state. If uh, you live in New York and your kid wants to drink uh, 46 ounces of cola. More than 32 ounces of cola. 80s kids will get that. Then it ought to be your decision. Should I let my kid drink 46 ounces of cola at once? Or should it be the city government 
Like it was, uh, it was outlawed in the city of New York. Now, that's not so important either way, but it's important to the Catholic Church. Subsidiarity matters. Localism matters. Now, I've called myself a neo-confederate on this program lots. What I mean is we have to go back to a time before something called substantive due process, which destroyed states' rights. We've got to go back to states' rights. What are states' rights? It really just means local government, fathers' rights. The only legislative prerogative we give up should be given up to the city government and at the furthest away, maybe your state capital. National capital in D.C., 5,000 miles away from you if you live in Honolulu, they basically only prosecute wars. And we shouldn't be getting in nearly so many wars and we wouldn't be if we lived under subsidiarity. So that's prong number two. It goes with the patriarchy. Patriarchy is power to fathers. Nothing goes with power to fathers except subsidiarity. So all the ethno-nationalists, ethno-nationalism is a contradiction of subsidiarity. It's also a contradiction of the main idea that Pius Twelfth taught, that the binding force for Catholic polities should be morality and religion, have sharing a morality and religion, not necessarily sharing an ethnicity. Sharing an ethnicity helps because it means customs, and it means you're related somewhere um, remotely. But it, it's, not that, it's not as important. It's not nearly as important. Pius XII clarifies this. It, it, this pisses off the distributists because it means you're not going to have some state you know, taking away other people's property and giving, spreading it around. It's up to individuals. It pisses off the, all other kinds of nationalists like uh, uh, Vermeule and Sorabamari and Gladden Pappen because they want a big kind of hemisphere-sized, you know, almost globalism, you know. Two countries in the world and they're each mondo. That's nationalism. There's ethno-nationalism. There's Christian nationalism. All of it is bogus because it contradicts subsidiarity, which is prong number two of rules for retrogrades. Or, or, or pillar number two, if you will. Pillar number two is required to have true patriarchy, rule by fathers. To have rule by fathers, you have to have small government. The main person making the rules in your life should be your father, who should love you like a king, die for you like a king, die for your mother, his queen, like a king. Patriarchy. Subsidiarity. This is what sets us apart from all the other TLM people. They're not super serious about patriarchy. I showed you how, a lot of feminists. They're not serious at all about subsidiarity. They gloss over it. Go find Sorab Amari or Adrian Vermeule or any of the distributists on subsidiarity, any of the integralists. They try to come up with ways that they honor subsidiarity, which means governing locally, and they're going to misdefine it to show that they pass muster there. Usually, if you talk to a distributist about governing about subsidiarity, they won't be talking governing locally because they want big government to be able to do all this redistribution, reallocation. What they're talking is not governing locally. It is buying locally. They start talking about shopping at farmer's markets and stuff. Well, farmer's markets are good. I don't want my strawberries having marinated in human fecal material, which is what they are if they, if they come from China, which is what you get at Walmart. I'm for farmer's markets, but that's not subsidiarity. That's buying locally. I'm talking governing locally. They're for big government, but buying locally. That doesn't work. It's a canard. Okay. So this is the main 
Catholic apostolate I know of that, that really stands up for patriarchy. You don't hear, you hear the lip service some in the TLM, but go follow me on Twitter. They get mad at me. Second pillar, subsidiarity. Third pillar, okay, homeschooling. Third pillar is homeschooling and not really sending your, most of your children to college, not preparing for college. Homeschooling goes with subsidiarity and with patriarchy. A household economy is what Aristotle called it. Oikonomia means household economy. It's redundant. It goes with not having a working wife. You need, most women that don't, most Catholic women that are faithful, whether they're trad or not, have been conned into the canard of being a working mother-wife. So, so homeschooling ain't an option. So they can't homeschool. I get it. I mean, I don't, I'm not on board with that, but I understand the concept. And homeschooling is, uh, by the way, we are now open enrollment for our four weekly classes uh, for free that will be live starting Tuesday, starting Fat Tuesday, appropriately enough, on timothyjgordon.com. It's our homeschool course on how to homeschool. <laughs> you see that? And we're giving it away for free. Unrelated donations gladly accepted because we just got kicked off Patreon. So we would appreciate donations, but we know a lot of homeschoolers don't have a lot of money. So it's for free. It's free. It's live. It's Tuesday nights at 6 o'clock CST for about 50 minutes. Four classes starting, whatever that is, the 21st. Tuesday, Fat Tuesday the 21st. Limited spots. Um, it's going to be amazing because I'm showing you how not only to homeschool, but how to homeschool by your own standards where you do not need the quote-unquote homeschool curricula. That is a contradiction in terms. Curriculum was reified into a muscular, big concept by University of Chicago's socialist communist John Dewey in the early 20th century, curricula. And it's the idea of teaching to the kid, not to the subject. And it's what you're, it's unfortunate that most homeschoolers are trying to use curricula. I'll teach you how to write each school day for your kid in a way that's fast. It's better education. It's more effective. We might have our, our daughter Maggie do some demonstrations. And it revolves around reading, writing, arithmetic, Latin. Real use of Latin, which requires real use of grammar. All the other subjects are BS. Like I said in, today, in this week's video with Michael Hitchborn, all the other subjects are BS. They're memorizing the back of a cereal box. And then telling people... Now reverse it. Now memorize the serial box in reverse order. Reading, writing, arithmetic. You need grammar. You need Latin. You need certain, certain kinds of math. And you drill it hard for an hour and a half to two hours a day. And this is literally all true classical homeschooling is. We're teaching it. Enroll now for this free live Tuesday night class starting Fat Tuesday, the 21st, 6 CST, it'll be recorded afterwards. Limited spots. We only have 500 spots and these sell out fast. Free to you. We do accept donations though. Also on Retrograde Classical Academy, we are um, now for a 
maybe a limited time, we're gonna see how it goes, selling all pre-recorded classes for $50. That is the cheapest I believe they've ever been. I could be wrong, but I'm quite certain. $50, and here's the thing, a lot of these classes are filler for upper middle school and high school that you can use as a module. This is what you can do when you homeschool, you can mix and match stuff. We have tons of classes, 15, 16 classes now. So $50 for those that are not marked free, some of those classes we have put up there for free for all time. Again, we accept donations. So homeschooling is the third pillar of the classical curriculum because of this. Uh, sorry, homeschooling is the third pillar of retrograde because it goes with subsidiarity and with patriarchy. The mother should be at home with the kids. The kids should be at home with the mother. And I don't just mean until they're, yeah, that's true until they're three or four or five or six or seven. Kids are happy and non-neurotic and well-loved when they're at home. And guess what, people? The Puritan work ethic aside, an eight-hour school day is all fluff. You can have a rigorous school day and have much better educated kids in an hour and a half a day. Um, it's, a, it's a mutually fertilizing disordered system. Moms get jobs, so they say, well, I can't homeschool, so they send to school. The school's made the day a work day, a Puritan American work day. Do you think that's a coincidence? It's a canard. And then, so you're shuffling off the kids to school at what, 7, 15 a.m.? You have to get up before the crack of dawn, which means you have to go to bed practically right after dinner. I don't know when these families are, are getting in family time. I know it's some. I know a lot of you out there do it. But you get up at the butt crack of dawn for your kid to go get like a lunch pail and hump his nine-hour shift, you know? It's really sad. And this is what I did. The only kids that were homeschooled in the 80s and 90s were like weirdos. Now it's become normal because all of us, I went to Catholic school. I realized how much junk there was, pure junk almost, in my Catholic education. And I'm like, I'm not going to do this to my kids. I want my kids around the house. I want time with them. And now that I'm here, I, I run most of their education. But you get off that, that basically Puritan workday, Monday through Friday. This is, we're talking about a first grader. <laughs> What, three, four, by the time they're picked up, they get home, it's 4.15, get to play for an hour. They're probably not playing with their parents. They're outside playing. Come in, do your homework. It's getting dark. Eat dinner, shower up, go to bed. You got to go to bed at what? what most of you guys put your kids, if you send your kids to school, you're putting your kids to bed at 7.30, 7.45, 8. There's no time for family. It is a Puritan workday. Think about it. And if you add in sports for the middle school kids, sports or band or art or any of that stuff, after school extracurriculars, then you're just, you're pushing, yeah, we'll go to bed at nine, but you're just shoving in extra minivan schlepping for the mom. It's like a full-time job. And you're adding in extra stuff that's stressful. There's no, when do you pray together? When do you play together? When do you get bored together? When does everyone go, oh, we're going to go take a nap? Maybe you do it on Sundays, but this should be, this is why homeschooling is central to subsidiarity. Your main legislator should be your father, a kindly father, who's around with you, who knows what you need. You spend time with your mother. You don't hate the household. You don't look on the household as something your mom wants to get away from, your dad gets away from. 
not only to work, but your dad, every time he gets a chance, he goes golfing with his buddy. It, the house becomes this forlorn valley of ashes, to borrow a term from F. Scott Fitzgerald. It becomes a valley of ashes. It's really sad. Listen to this description of the household with the mother not working, uh, with the mother working and presumably not homeschooling at home. Wifely work outside the home is the debasing of the womanly character and the dignity of motherhood. Of the whole family, it's the debasing. As a result of which the husband suffers the loss of his wife, the kids of their mother, and the home and the family of an ever-watchful guardian. This false liberty and unnatural equality with the husband is to the detriment of the woman herself. For if the woman descends from a regal throne in the Christian home, Steph is sitting on a regal throne right now, she will soon be reduced to the old state of slavery and become, as among the pagans, a mere instrument of man. To abuse the years of childhood and limited strength of women is grossly wrong. Mothers should work in the home or its immediate vicinity. This is called in the common law the curtilage. Mothers are allowed to work on the farm. You have your baby right here. You have your toddlers right here. If you homeschool, you have your other kids working around with you after you've finished your two hours of school. It's lovely if you have a farm. So you're allowed to. Lots of, lots of smart Alex who are know-nothings on Twitter were saying, oh, Steph's up there with you when you do a video for an hour. Yeah, for an hour. Will you lock your kids away? No. They're downstairs playing a game. Also, or, we or have, watching television. We have kids known as teenagers who don't need me like chicken hawking what they're doing every four seconds. You can say that when you're working in the home. According to um, Pope Pius, you can't say that when you work out of the home. This is an intolerable abuse to be abolished at all cost for mothers to be forced to engage in gainful occupations outside the home. That's pious. Here's Pius Twelfth. Has woman's position been thereby improved? Equality of rights with man brought her abandonment of home, where she reigned queen. Again, there's that term, different pious. Same teaching. And her subjection to the same work strain and hours, entailing depreciation of her true dignity and the solid foundation of her rights, her feminine role. We see a woman, this is Pius XII, we see a woman who in order to augment her husband's earnings, betakes herself to a factory, leaving her house abandoned during her absence. The house, untidy and small perhaps before, becomes even more miserable for her lack of care. Whoa. Does that sound like what we're describing here? It's the third prong of the retrogrades apostolate for a reason. Because it goes with subsidiarity and patriarchy. Homeschooling, most kids don't need to be college kids. Unless your son's a real whiz, send him to go get a PhD or in something or a JD or an MD. But if your son's not a real whiz, if he's just okay or moderate at school, you'll have given him Latin, you'll have given him critical thinking. He doesn't need all the standardized tests. Send him to trade school after 12th grade, right? Send your, give your girls a classical education. Teach them the classics. Teach them Homer. Teach them Hesiod. Teach them Plato, Aristotle with your boys too. Those aren't on the standardized tests anymore. It's all wokeness. But then after 12th grade, have them, have them married off. This is the Christian life, people. It's not LARPing. It works. This is what we're doing with our six daughters and one son. If they're really smart, send the sons to go get a grad degree in something or, or college at all. But most people don't need that. The men need trade school. The moms need to be prepped, 
trained by their moms how to stay at home, starting when they're 18, 19. They get married. It's beautiful. You don't need the minivan. You don't even need a second car if you don't have one. You don't need to be schlepping people around. Well, do this for National Honor Society. Do this for AP classes. Do this for, uh, you know, after school girls volleyball. Throw it all in the fire. It's straw. You need to be around the home. If you want to play some sports with your kids, play volleyball, basketball, football, soccer, have them play with each other. If your sons are really talented, put them in an AAU basketball league or Pop Warner football if he's really talented. But everyone doesn't need that kind of stuff. We need to go back. Here's even Vatican II. This will blow your mind. And some of the trads will get mad that I'm citing Vatican II. But I'm saying even Vatican II says the traditional thing on mothers. The kids, especially the younger ones, need the care of their mother at home. This domestic role must be safely preserved. Whoa. Vatican II? That's in Gaudium et Spes. Even the 20th century teaches that. Can you read a JP2 quote? I actually in my book found several uh, JP2 quotes against the modern notion of what a female should be. Yeah, no, JP2 was a bit schizo on this. He writes, he writes some bad stuff that, that a lot of women yesterday evening on Twitter were, were sort of obliquely referencing. But he's not explicit in his bad stuff. He is explicit in affirming these six other 20th century popes. Here's what he writes. Having to abandon wifely tasks in order to take up paid work outside the home is wrong from the standpoint of the good of society and of the family when it contradicts or hinders these primary goals of the mission of the mother. JP2, it's wrong to abandon your, your wifely or motherly tasks. Not just motherly, but wifely as well. This applies to wives, not just mothers, even before you've had kids. Listen, to, that's JP2. So a lot of these women were yelling at me on Twitter, um, and they said, what about JP2? And I spit that at them, and they got quiet. This is Paul VI. Even in the glorified state, this is liberal Paul VI, even in the glorified state, in humans, the difference of sex exercises an important influence, much deeper than the ethnic differences. Oh, wait, no, 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 I'm sorry. Is this Benedict XV? The latter do not affect the human as intimately as the difference of sex. The effect of God's will ab initio, ma male and female, he created them. Okay, maybe that is Paul VI. I thought that was Pius XII. I just cited it. So this is the ethnic thing. Ethnic differences are... Skin deep, maybe a little deeper, but they're not that important. That's why we say here we're not ethno-nationalists. We're not ethno, we're not nationalists. But the sex differences really matter between male and female. Okay? All right, so that's the third pillar. Homeschool until 12th grade. Most human beings don't need education beyond that. If you give them good classical education, I'm going to teach you how. Go to timothyjgordon.com and register. That is the third pillar. It goes with your father is your prime legislature, which goes with uh, subsidiarity. You are off the grid, my friends, just with these first three pillars of retrograde alone. No big government. Sorry. A lot of trads have shifted over to loving big government. No feminism. Sorry. A lot of trads secretly, cryptically allow feminism in. And... Sorry, no schooling outside the home. I mean, I understand if you do or you have to or whatever, but it's a, a, these things go together. S Contradictions of these things don't go with the rest. Small government 
requires you don't trust someone to educate your kid. Small government requires someone's got, we're not, we're not libertarians for heaven's sakes. We don't believe in no authority. The authority we believe in is fathers. And then some laws that a father can't make, the city will make. And then if there's leftover, the county will make laws. And then if there's leftover legislative function, maybe the state. There's almost nothing left for the Fed. So see, we're not, we, we reject ethno-nationalism and subsidiarity proves it. Okay, the fourth pillar of retrograde is, it's what sets us apart from the Benedict option. Be cultural fighters. If you do go to college, make your professor fear your questioning. Make him fear your drama. I, I explain this in Don't Go to College. The fourth pillar is we're not just laying down quietly. Now, is, is a, you're, you're a cultural rabble rouser. I mean, look at me. Look at Steph. You're a cultural rabble rouser. You talk loud and you care. You know, you talk quietly and carry a big stick. If you're Teddy Roosevelt, I say talk loud and carry a big stick. That, wave it around. You wave it around as you're talking loud. Talk about Jesus. Talk about the sacraments when you go to the movies, when you go to the mall. Um, there are pranks that we, we, you know, harmless, fun pranks that are effective. We talk about in Don't Go to College. To make leftist professors fear right-wing students' questions and antics as much as the lowly right-wing professors fear that of the leftist student mob. Fight back. So that, that, you know, I describe a lot of those tactics in Don't Go to College, uh, prong four, how to fight back for young people. And then for middle-aged people, how to fight back in the self-titled book, my second book, Rules for Retrogrades, which I wrote with my brother. 40 rules which help you fight back. Those are the four pillars of this apostolate. Are they very unique? You bet. Hi there, Abby. You bet they're very unique. They're very unique. But they're the, this is the only Catholic apostolate out there where all four pillars stand together. You can't be trad, but be big government. Then all of a sudden you're saying, hey, they shut down our mass. So I'm like, I mean, this is what I was saying to Adrian Vermeule and Sir Abamari. They're kind of trads, but then they're saying the government should have the right to mandate vaccines and to, to shut down church. That doesn't make sense. All these trads saying, hey, we're monarchists. The king should be able to do whatever he wants. Well, Biden can, with an executive order, basically do something kingly, right? And make you take a... No, that's, that's the problem with big government. It doesn't square with subsidiarity. It doesn't square with patriarchy. You have to choose the Plato way or the Aristotle way. Does the father truly own the child or does the state truly own your child? During COVID, most trads sounded like they strongly thought the father does. Right on. But don't forget it. This is what I respect about um, Kennedy Hall, by the way. I like Kennedy. This is what I respect about him. During COVID, because he lives in a more, even more tyrannical place than, than America. He lives in Canada. During COVID, he, like most trads, had always, I, I think he had. Uh, I'm trying to get a story justice. I'm trying to give him propers. He'd always mocked libertarians. But during COVID, he was like, um, I, I don't know if he identifies as an outright libertarian or just one that thinks that has libertarians that have a lot of good ideas, like small government. I'm there. That understand libertarians get subsidiarity mostly right. 
Um, he said, I reverse. COVID proved to me the libertarians have a lot of good ideas. Don't, Kennedy, don't get mad at me if I, I can't remember if you're formally a libertarian or not. I really respect the hell out of that. And I, 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 I like that. I like someone that's like, a posteriori, I'm learning that some of my old ideas contradict one the other. If I want to keep A, I can't keep B. That's what Kennedy did, and that's very cool. See, that makes me want to be someone's friend online, in real life. If they, if they want to square A with B, with C, with D, with E, with F, with G, H, I, all the way down the line to Z, that's what we try to do here on Rules for Retrogrades. Nothing can't fit. Everything must fit. And that's why you have a pillar system. Be a rabble rouser, sure. But we're not talking about ethno-nationalism. That, that stuff doesn't square with Catholic teaching. Be a trad, yeah. The TLM's supreme. I never want to go to a Novus Ordo again if I can avoid it. But I have to go to Mass once a week, and they're taking it all away. TLM is not enough by itself. You need a patriarchal system where, with a loving kingly father and a loving queenly mother who supports your father. Those are the four pillars. And I defy anyone to show how those four pillars don't go together. Especially Mr. What's-his-name? Adam Lucas. He had his chance... And he, he chose not to come on here. What does that tell you? Now, the other big news story of this week that deserves an update is I had on uh, Kyle Serafin, FBI whistleblower, who was the one that broke the story last week that the FBI had a memo plus, an Intel product that said they're going to start targeting TLM Catholics for not, not criminal investigations, but intelligence investigations or cases. Immediately, because Tucker Carlson got on this, some other of the, the, the good, legit right-wing big sources hopped on it and created a stink, the FBI released some sort of pseudo-repudiation. And guess what? Yesterday, Kyle Serafin tweeted out, and we were texting about it this morning. I asked him to be on this update show, but I didn't hear back from him. He tweeted out that his friends that are still at the internal uh, Fed agency said they're not getting rid of that memo. It is still, I believe, on the book. So I just asked him, want to join me on a stream? We're supposed to take a call earlier. And he, I said, want to just... Instead of taking a call, want to just join me on a stream, actually, a fast one. He said, sorry, I would. I was out. And now I'm waiting on a quick media hit with Salem. So check him out on Salem. That's Dinesh D'Souza's outfit, I think. Anyway, pay attention to what he has to say. I retweeted it if you follow me on Twitter. But basically, the FBI is not backing off. This is something you need to make a stink about. You need to make a stink about this because this is tyranny. This is, again, why... This is, again, why I'm just showing how all my ideas go together. Big government is inherently tyrannical. When you have these deep state, uh, the investigative state, the intel administrative state, it will become tyrannical automatically. Something that cracked me up on Twitter, this guy Matthew Schmitz, who I think considers himself a Catholic socialist. He helps to run First Things, by the way. Ooh. It's hard to, hard to read first things after he got a high up position there. He was, he was responding to last week's news by Kyle Serafin by saying, see, this is totally a misuse of blah, blah, blah. No, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Oh, Lord Acton, 
when the state has enough power to go deep state, it's always going to be turned against the good guys. In Lord of the Rings, only Sauron can wield the ring. You can't wield the ring for good. The ring is inherently evil. Big government is inherently evil. You can't wield big government for the Christians. That's never how it's worked. Never, never, never. Big government has not been wielded on behalf of Christians, only against. So you guys need to write your legislators, your Congress people, your, your, your state uh, assembly members and state senators. You need to say this is very big. This is religious persecution. It's illegal by the FBI. And guess what? They have not gotten rid of this. They have not gotten rid of it. It's still on the books. They are trying to persecute Catholics because we are the one true faith. Does anybody trust anything that they're seeing on news, the, what the government says at all anymore? I mean, I, I don't know about everyone out there, but for our family, we're even just off watching news. I'm tired of all of it. I don't trust anybody anymore, especially government entities. I trust my friends in media. I, 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 check, I check their Twitter posts. And this is why I have, I have some outside friends that aren't just Catholic-only media. Um, and I, I talk to some guys daily, quite frankly, he and I check in almost daily, lots of sort of half, half Catholic, Catholic, uh, conservative media types. I check in with weekly and we bounce ideas off each other, but yeah, news is too much to watch. And I do like Tucker Carlson, but remember he's on big news, big news is, is, uh, like, like big pharma. You can't. You can't try. No, Tucker's cool. Everyone loves Tucker, including this guy. But he's very constrained about what he could say because he's on big news, big pharma, big whatever. Every message on network television, even cable television, every other message it feels like is brought to you by in Pfizer we trust, who is like their God. So I love Tucker. And Tucker... God bless him, had on Kyle Serafin before he came on my show. And that partly blew the lid off this, but we need another appearance. I'm, I'm actually contacting Tucker through the back channels and I'm going to ask him, hey, hey, can I come on and make some points? So don't hold your breath, right? But you guys stay tough. Stay real. Think of the four pillars and how they go together. And if you disagree with any of them, the way some of the trads were disagreeing with what we say about patriarchy and feminism. Ask yourself, is it me that's being internally inconsistent or rules for retrogrades? God bless you all. Register for this free homeschool course on how to homeschool. We get this question a million times over. It's free. Go to timothyjgordon.com and register. It's for Fat Tuesday, the 21st. I promised this would begin in late January. We got bumped back by a month with the Patreon thing. By the way, I was out of state last week with Steph aiding in an exorcism. That was heavy duty. The Patreon thing the week before was really heavy duty. Um, the FBI story is really shaking things up. So we got pushed back by a month, but we're making good on that promise for a free homeschool class on how to homeschool, how to homeschool and love it, how to not even buy any homeschool curricula unless you want to, and how to use it if you do want to buy some of it, starting on Fat Tuesday.
three Tuesdays after that, 6 p.m. CST. Go to timothyjgordon.com. Please, unrelated donations are very appreciated, but not necessary. It's free for all of you guys. Hi, Abby. Abby Abby approves. Also, please do go to... Remember, we got kicked off of Patreon only 2.4 weeks ago or something. Got kicked off of that. Please, if you want to support us, give five bucks a month on Subscribestar. Well, five bucks a month on Locals. Please do support. If you're like, hey, I've taken a bunch of your free courses, Tim. It's not a quid pro quo. They have nothing to do with each other, but I do want to support you. Five bucks a month on page, uh, on Subscribestar, Freudian Slip. Five bucks a month on Locals. We need it. We do need it. God bless you all day as Volt. Have a great weekend. Be ready for that homeschool course, How to Homeschool, on Tuesday. God bless you. Keep your eyes on the skies. Des Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.